Last week I neglected to tell you a story I wanted to tell you, so I'm going to start off here telling you this story. But two Sundays ago, we were over at my daughter's house, and we were riding bikes out. And of course, with all of your lightning quick memories, you'll remember that that particular Sunday it was raining. But we were still riding our bikes out there with the, I was out with the two grandchildren, my wife was walking along. And uh, as we were, we came to the end of the road, we were met up with a police officer who pulled up, stopped next to us, and asked if we saw a little boy, about five years old, wandering around on the streets in his underwear. And, um, of course, we hadn't. But uh, he, he approached me, and, and, of course, you know, he's, a police officer approaches you, you, you answer with honor and dignity. And we, we did that. And, uh, yes, sir. Uh, you know, most people anymore uh, are, are younger than me. I'm getting to that, that point in life. <laughs> most people I run into are younger than me, <laughs> especially people that are working in a police car. It didn't matter that he was younger than I. I addressed him as sir and listened to what he had to say. And so he told us of this part of the story, and I told him that we had not seen that yet, and I told him that we would be looking. And so we we set out to head on back, and we caught up to where my wife was, and and we told her the story, and then she proceeded to go uh, in the house, and uh, I told the kids, hey, you want to keep looking? So we were riding around on our bikes in the rain and trying to find a little boy who was wandering around five years old in his underwear. And uh, we did not find the little boy, but when we came back to the house, I saw my wife had gone back, and she enlisted my daughter, and the two of them were in the van driving around. Of course, we had seen them out there on the road too. They were, they had stopped us and Nikolai was involved too. He was at home watching the young one. Uh, so they had to take her out. So the whole family got involved because this one police officer asked us if this was going on. Now we don't know if the little boy was found, but it did not hit the news. So we are assuming that the little boy was found. Now, in me telling you this story, it paints a certain picture in your mind of what has gone on. What I will tell you is what it didn't paint. You see, I could have told this story completely differently. And it would have painted a different visual, a different idea. I could have told you that as we were riding our bikes around, a black officer approached us and told us about a white boy who was wandering the streets of Quakertown. And that would have painted a completely different picture for you. And you would have been focused on details that probably didn't matter. This is what our news media tries to do a lot of times, that they try to inject race where really it doesn't belong. Now, for some of you folks who have been here in the church for a short period of time, some of you who have been here at church for a long period of time, but you also notice this, that when I tell stories, I don't tell stories and tell you about the color of the people involved. Because to me, it's irrelevant. I don't care about the color of the people involved. I care that they were people. And they mean a lot to me that they were, that they were people. Now, the truth be told, I don't know what color boy they were looking for. Because there's one way that we can dishonor people that does not always jump right out at us. And that is in the questions that we ask. When this police officer came up to me and he told me these things, I didn't pester him with questions that didn't matter. I assume he told me everything I needed to know. You see, if I start asking a person questions that they don't tell me 
in the initial thing. And, you know, sometimes you, you have a longer conversation, you can just ask questions to find stuff out. But time was of the essence. He was looking for someone and thought he'd stop and, and ask us if we could, could help out with that. I didn't bother asking, well, how did he get lost? Because that is irrelevant, how he got lost. I didn't ask what the race of the boy was because the officer didn't tell me. If he didn't tell me, I probably don't need to know. And really, it didn't matter to me. Because if we saw a boy walking on the street, five years old in his underwear, I don't care what race he was, we would be calling the police officers, <laughs> police officers and saying, hey, we found a five-year-old boy right over here. But see, sometimes our minds can go off on things. And I tell you this story because in the questions that we ask, in the details that we pull from the stories, tells us what's important. It tells us what we honor. And we have to make sure that we honor the things that God sees as important and not just the things that we see as important because He is our God. Now, I did not put this up on Facebook. I was thinking about putting it up there yesterday. But this particular week, I came to under... I don't think... Maybe I did put it up on Facebook this morning. The um, There's a whole lot of foolishness that goes on in this world. Now, I don't pretend to try and grasp the immense foolishness that some people some people walk in. I mean, all you have to do is watch an episode of um, America's Funniest Videos. And you will be amazed at the foolishness that people embark in. I mean, you watch these people and you see it set up. I mean, aren't you thinking the same thing I'm thinking? That's not going to end well. There is no way this ends well, especially because it's on TV. We especially know that it's not going to end well. But a lot of those things we just look at and we say, no, there's no way that somebody would be that foolish, but obviously they were. And they also took videotape of it. That is kind of incredible. But I came to understand a part of the foolishness that people walk into that I have described on numerous occasions, but never never understood. I gained a glimpse of that this week. So I will uh, bring that out here for you. But I want to read this verse of Scripture to you in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. If you missed the description on Facebook, how do we develop and become people of honor God desires us to be? How do we do that? We all know we should be that kind of a person, but how is it that we get there? We need to know, how do I develop this type of honor? In myself. Now in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8, it reads this way, Brothers and sisters, think about the things that are good and worthy of praise. Think about the things that are true and honorable and right and pure and beautiful and respected. Think on, this is what he said, we know this verse, we know it well. I want to read this verse to you from a few other translations. Now the first one I put in here by accident, but it's still, it still, it sounds pretty good. I thought I was getting the New Living Translation. And I didn't. I grabbed the the Living Bible. But, you know, it's, I've read the Living Bible. I don't hate it. It's just that it's a paraphrase, but I'm reading another paraphrase from you too. But this is what it reads. 
And now, brothers, as I close this letter, let me say this one more thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and good and right. Think about the things that are pure and lovely and dwell on the fine good things in others. Ooh. <laughs> dwell on the fine and good things in others. Think about all you can praise God for and be glad about. Think about all you can praise God for and be glad about. If you wonder why we take time out of the service to read praise reports, this is because we want to be thinking on these things. It's imperative that our little ones write things down, that all through the week they are looking for what can I praise God for? And we don't look at these things and say, oh, that's not really something you should praise God for. I am glad, first off, that they're looking for things that God has blessed them with and that they see the hand of God in everyday things. So make sure that you do that. We've um, challenged every once in a while, take the praise report uh, card that you that you have in your offering or your in your um, uh, bulletin and put it on your refrigerator. Keep yourself mindful of it. Write something down. Bring it on in with you on Sunday. You don't got a whole lot of time. When you get here on Sunday, you don't have a whole lot of time to write it down and get it in then. And that's intentional. We want you to come in with them, but also we want to keep the worship service together. This is the message translation. Again, another paraphrase. Summing it up, friends, I'd say, I'd say you'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on things true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious, the best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly, things to praise, not things to curse. Put into practice what you learned from me, what you heard and saw and realized. Do that, and God who makes everything work together will work you into his most excellent Harmonies. This from the Amplified. Finally, believers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable and worthy of respect, whatever is right and confirmed by God's word, whatever is pure and wholesome, whatever is lovely and brings peace, whatever is admirable and of good repute, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think continually on these things, center your mind on them and implant them in your heart. These are things that we ought to be putting our thoughts and attention to. Now, negative thoughts are generated by, and you can write some of these down if you want. I did not have room to put them in there for you. But negative thoughts, when we get negative thoughts going on in our minds, they are generated by thoughts of, I'm right. You never had that thought, have you? Something has gone on and we think, wait, I'm right. That's going to generate a negative thought. I've been wronged or cheated. That will generate a negative thought. Nobody cares for me like I care for others. Nobody does anything special for me. I sacrifice so much. Basically, we put it this way. Woe is me. Now, positive thoughts are generated by thoughts like this. I'm blessed. <laughs> you just go around thinking, I'm blessed. The devil wants to tell you, you're not blessed. Look at this. You just go around and say, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. 
He's trying to show you evidence that you're not blessed. What do you do? I'm blessed. Other people bless me. Have thoughts like other people bless me. I'm so grateful for the care of others. I'm so grateful for what others do for me. They sacrifice so much. Basically, wow, I'm blessed. That's positive thoughts versus negative thoughts. God says stay in the positive thought realm. If God says for me to stay in the positive thought realm and I go over into the negative thought realm, what have I done? Among other things, besides disobeying God, I have dishonored God. Because I have decided that what I want to do is worthy of more honor. Now, God will not steer you into the first and the devil will work to keep you out of the second. God does not stir you into negative thoughts. You may have those negative thoughts. Well, God showed me. No, God did not show you. If whatever it is you have generates negative thoughts, it's not God. I get amazed at people. They, they try and pass themselves off as spiritual and God has spoken to me. And yet when God speaks things to them, the thoughts and the actions that they uh, contemplate are negative, hurtful, cause them to operate out of love. How is God going to be revealing things to you that cause you to speak evil, to have negative thoughts, or to work in a non-blessing way towards others? Basically, to walk out of love. How is God inspiring to do that? And if he did inspire the first thought, that was your reaction. Why is God coming back with more? Would you if you were God? Nope. But if you were the devil, I'd say I'd inspire more of those thoughts all I could. Now, when I go negative, I dishonor what God has done and honor what the devil has done. You don't want to be doing that. My faith and expectation are in bad things coming my way. There's lots of people that have faith and expectation and bad things coming their way. Don't tell me faith doesn't work. You can bring bad things in too. Now for this, we're going to take a look at Esau in verse 19 of Genesis chapter 25. This is the genealogy of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah as wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Padan, Aram, and the sister of Laban, the Syrian. 40 years old before he got married. If you wonder why his father sent off to go find him a wife. He's tired of waiting on him. Forty years old. He hadn't got married yet. I wonder if he even dated anyone. I don't know. But Abraham said, look, go over here to this land and go get my, my son a wife. Find somebody for her. Bring her on back. And then he probably just went up to his son and said, he's leaving. He's bringing back a wife. You'll like her. <laughs> I don't I don't know what happened, but Abraham, you remember, he was a little bit uh, um, concerned in his conversations with God on the fact that he didn't have any kids. And he was supposed to be blessed. Now his son doesn't have any kids. Well, what happens to Abraham becoming the father of many nations if the only son that he has doesn't have any kids? So you can see that maybe Abraham is uh, stirring some things up here. Come on, you need to get married. He's 40 years old. Let's go. So he uh, he did that. Well, he, of course, you know the story about Rebecca. But um, Rebecca wasn't having any children. So they were married. 
but she wasn't having any children. It took 20 years after he was married until Rebecca had children. What would you be doing if you were Abraham? You'd waited so long for your son to be born, son of promise, and then 20 years and this, there's still no baby. Now, the, the enemy is always coming against you being fruitful in areas where God wants to bless you. He came against Abraham. He came against Isaac. I think it's interesting to note that Jacob didn't have much trouble. There's a sermon in there somewhere, I'm sure. <laughs> I wrote that down to meditate on that some more. Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren and the Lord granted his plea and Rebekah his wife conceived but the children struggled together within her and she said if all is well why am I like this? So she went to inquire of the Lord and the Lord said to her two nations are in your womb two people shall be separated from your body one people shall be stronger than the other and the older shall serve the younger. Now they didn't have ultrasounds and things like that so I think twins could be more of a surprise. To, uh, to people that I don't know, you know, what kind of notification they would have had otherwise. But she got a word from God. She had this struggle going on. She's never been pregnant before, but she's just feeling like, I don't know, this just isn't, this doesn't seem to be normal. Oh, honey, that's of course it's normal. The kids are always moving around. They're always kicking at the wrong time. You know, the other moms are probably telling her these things and letting her know. No, nah, it just doesn't, I don't know. It just doesn't feel like th- this, this should be going on the way that it is. And they're all probably telling this is your first one, you know, and you're older. And that's probably having a factor in this this whole thing. They're probably giving her all kinds of reasons, but she's not buying it. She is unsettled, and so she goes after God, and God gives her a word. Two nations, not two babies. Two nations are in your womb. Two people shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. So when her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed, there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red. He was like a hairy garment all over. So they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out and his hand took hold of Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. I'm told that means heel catcher. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. So the boys grew and Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. But Jacob was a mild man dwelling in tents and Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. Now, why did Isaac love Esau? Because he ate of his game. He got what he wanted. He liked game. And Esau went out and got it for him. He may have a propensity to, to go out there and to, and to hunt. I mean, some people just have a, they have a desire for that. One pastor I had for a while, he has a desire to hunt. Not normal. It's not, not a normal desire to hunt. This is an uh, incredible desire to hunt. This is the man who hunts with teams, because you don't want to be in these areas by yourself. He has other people that go with him, and they airlift him into the location. You better have all the stuff that you need and know how to take care of yourself out there. And he would tell stories because they were they were after big game, big bears, and and it's big stuff. And they they would say, you know, we're out there hunting them, and we got all of our stuff here, 
and you're out in the middle of nowhere in a tent. <laughs> and this was exciting for him. I like adventure. That's not my kind of adventure. But it is for him. Some people just have this tendency to, to go out there and to, and to do these things. Um, and he was, he was one of them. Esau is probably one of those ones he just, he liked to hunt. He liked to shoot stuff. He liked to see them die. I don't, I don't know what it was, but whatever it was, he just, he liked it. And, um, his brother Jacob, not so much. Esau, he liked to go out there and he'd be out in the field, be out in the woods, looking for game. Where's Jacob? Now you say, you look at this and say, well, he's over there dwelling in tents. And you say, I don't like tent living. I want a house. But they didn't live in a house. He didn't live in a house. His father was wandering around. And so they lived in tents. That was their house. He stayed inside, in other words. Esau's outside. Jacob's inside. And so his father sees this. And his thoughts towards Jacob were not as positive as his thoughts towards Esau. And Esau saw that the game that he would catch would uh, uh, entreat his father to him. And so he went out there and he tried to get more. What kind of uh, game do you like? All right, make sure I go out there and I'll shoot some of that. And so they brought him back. Dad, I got one you like. And his father was thrilled. And probably looked over. You probably know how this goes. Looked over at Jacob. Now see, that's a man right there, Jacob. You want to be a man, you get out there and you do stuff like this. Bring bring home this kind of game. (laughs) Can you see him probably saying stuff like that? Trying to egg his son on. But if you try and egg your son on in that particular way, you're not going to help him. You'll probably you dishonor him. And you cause him to go in the opposite direction. Now, look at the rest of the verse here. Esau loved, or I'm sorry, Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. Not because he was a, a wilderness man, but because he brought stuff back for him he liked. He's selfish love. This is a selfish love. But Rebecca loved Jacob. Now, why did Rebecca love Jacob? Do you notice that wasn't in there? Why did she love Jacob? Because she loved him. Jacob didn't have to do anything. But she got a word from God. She probably shared this. Wives, you can probably relate to this. If you got a word like this about a pregnancy, about something going on in your house, would you not tell your husband? I mean, would you wake him up in the middle of the night? If it was a nighttime dream, would you wake him up in the middle of the night? Honey! Wake up! I had a dream. God spoke to me. Whatever it might be. Wouldn't you tell him right away? And so, he probably heard about this dream. And the last part of it was, the younger shall serve, I'm sorry, the older shall serve the younger. This is in the, this is spoken before they were born. And yet, though he heard this, he loves Esau. He favors Esau. And you all know the story. He wants to put the blessing on who? Esau. But what about the prophecy? Well, apparently, even though the prophecy spoke about twins, and twins happened, he apparently didn't put too much stock in it. Now, if you got a husband and wife and the husband's not respecting the words of the wife, it's probably not going to go so well. Probably some other hardships in there that we didn't uh, 
we didn't all know about. But anyway, let's go on here with this. So Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. What is Isaac honoring? The things he receives that he likes. It's easy for us to honor the things that we like, but it's a selfish love. If It's a selfish kind of honoring. What is Rebecca honoring? The fact that he's, a, he's her son. Now, what her relationship was with Esau, we don't know. We're not spoken too much about that. But it seemed like she had a better relationship with, with uh, Jacob than she did with Esau. And, of course, Jacob was home more. So it's probably easy to, to do that. I put this in your outline for you. It is fleshly to give honor to what we like and dishonor to what we don't. That's your flesh. It is a fleshy thing to give honor to what we like and dishonor to what we don't. It is hypocrisy to give honor to what others value, but we don't. You're doing it for show. It's hypocrisy. If I honor something that you say you honor, you know, say that I'm out and about and I run into a Dallas Cowboy fan in the days when I used to watch football and uh, I run into this Dallas Cowboy fan and I pretend to be a Dallas Cowboy fan and speak highly of the Dallas Cowboys. What am I doing? I'm being hypocrite because I don't feel that way about the Dallas Cowboys. But you see, in their presence, we'll do that. Well, that's a that's the kind of honor that comes from hypocrisy. Don't do that. It is spiritual to give honor to what God honors despite our personal opinion, likes, or perceived benefit. That is spiritual. That's where God wants us to walk. He doesn't want us to walk fleshly. He doesn't want us to walk like a hypocrite. We don't know the words he spoke about them. He wants us to develop being spiritual. To give honor to what God honors despite our personal opinion, likes, or perceived benefit. Now, we, we I put this note in here about honoring or dishonoring the earth. There were some things that I had been um, meditating on since we had gone out to the, the creation uh, museum and the things on, on Noah's Ark. And uh, one of the things that they had, had emphasized, and I, I, you, you all know that this is in Scripture. We've uh, been there a number of times with it. But um, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 24, let me read this for you. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind, cattle and creeping thing, and beast of the earth, each according to its kind. And it was so. What brought it forth? Let me read it for you again. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind. What brought it forth? It came from the earth. And God made the beast of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God made the beast of the what? Of the earth. And God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. What do you see? What do you see uh, talked about several times here? On the earth, all or over all the earth, we see the earth, the earth, the earth, the earth, the earth. 
So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. On the earth. What was man formed from? The dust of the earth. Verse 29, and God said, see, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of the earth and every tree whose fruit yields seed to you. It shall be for food. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air and to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life. I have given every green herb for food and it was so. Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. So we see that the earth, the earth, the earth, the earth. God made the animals from the earth. He made the trees from the earth. I could read more of these verses in chapters 1, 2, and 3 and show you more of how much the earth is emphasized. Man is given dominion over the what? Over the earth and over everything that creeps upon the earth. He is given dominion over it. Where is man's food to come from? The earth. Genesis is very clear about this, isn't it? Now people want us to know, want us to think that our earth is in trouble. And that we need to act. What is one of the harebrained, stupid ideas that they have come up with that we need to do? We need to put a colony on Mars. How many know that people are working towards putting a colony on Mars? Getting the ship ready and put people and how we can survive. Because the temperature of this earth, they say, is changing by a couple of degrees. So we'll fix it. We will go to a temperature change on Mars that is several hundred. That makes sense. The atmosphere is being filled with carbon dioxide. So we'll go to an atmosphere that doesn't have any oxygen. I mean, isn't it foolishness? I mean, you have to wonder, who in the world comes up with this stuff? And they actually believe it. Well, if you are the enemy, and your domain is the earth, what would you want to do? Get them off. Get them off. Put them up on Mars. Do we have dominion on Mars? We don't have dominion on Mars, do we? We do not. We don't have dominion on the moon. Maybe we go and visit every once in a while, but we don't have dominion there. But here's another thing. Because this is something I just could not understand. How in the world is it that people with brains, I think they have them, They're supposed to be scientific. How is it that they can come up with all these things that we can do instead of burning fossil fuels? And in no place that they have been put do they work. Oh, that's not true. I've seen solar and it does work. Yeah, you can pull some out, but you cannot survive on it. You cannot fly a plane by solar power. You can't put solar cells on the plane and have that plane fly. At least if it does, it's not going to fly very fast. The little two prop things, and just, you know, eventually you'll get on over there. Of course, if it gets cloudy, you get below the clouds, you're in trouble. 
No, if you want to, if you want to have a jet engine fly, you got to have fossil fuels in there. And even though the windmills chew up birds, which they say that they worship and that they they like, they don't care. And even solar cells have a have a negative effect upon uh, wildlife. You may not be as aware of, of some of the the things that have come on from that. But of course, we told you about the batteries and the the I mean harm, tremendous harm from solar solar batteries and solar cells on our environment just in the making of them. The disposal is even worse. So I'm wondering, why is it? I've always wondered, why? how do they grab hold of such foolishness? And then it dawned on me when I was meditating on this. Fossil fuels come from uh, the where? The earth. Where does solar come from? It comes from the sun. Where does wind power come from? The wind. You see, God's pattern is that man depend on the earth. And then it dawned on me. This is a spiritual battle. It's not just a stupidity battle. This is a spiritual battle. They are trying to get us off of the earth. They're trying to, to get us to not, uh, not glean from the earth. That the animals are not ours. That the trees of the field are not ours. That God has not done this. So anyway, that's just a side note. Because I figured out some of their stupidity. Because I really could not figure, I would think about it often. How, how can sensible people actually make this work? I mean, down, just down in Texas, just this last winter, did we not see that those two sources of power did not work? And the brainiacs that are out there, I mean, Texas, I have higher hopes for Texas. I have much higher expectations of Texas than some other states that I know about. And here they are taking natural gas and burning it and letting it just go off into smokestacks because we don't want to produce power from that. I, I don't understand it. It's just, it's beyond stupid, but now I understand it. It's something spiritual. There's something more going on there. And maybe eventually if I meditate on enough of the stupidity that goes on, I'll find a spiritual reason behind that too, or maybe you will. But anyway, not all physical things have a spiritual root. But when they do, often it is rejected by the profane. People who profane the things of God will reject the spiritual root. This is a spiritual root in Genesis. The earth is to provide for us. And uh, it has... Now, how many have ever heard that, that fossil fuels like oil, coal, they were produced by... Uh, you know, some ca- catastrophic things that happened that buried all that vegetation. And that's why we have it. But as soon as it gets used up, it's gone. How many have ever heard that? There's only so much oil in the, in the world. And once you use it up, it's gone. Except that's not true. And they know it's not true. Because many of the oil wells that we have that were depleted have been restored. They weren't used for a while. They weren't drilled because they didn't produce anything. Well, they found out they refilled themselves. There apparently is a lot more oil than we know about. So don't let any of that, that fret upon you. Well, turn over here to, uh, let's just see this principle. Luke chapter 5, verse 17. Now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town in Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem, 
and of the power of the Lord, and, and the power of the Lord is present to heal them. Then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop, let him down on his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. When he saw their faith, he said to him, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can speak? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise up and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Immediately he arose up before them, took up what he had been lying on, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed, and they glorified God, and were filled with fear, saying, We have seen strange things today. Now, in this particular, in this particular episode, Jesus healing people, we see that the power of God was present to heal how many? Them, plural. Them. The power of God was present to heal them, but how many people got healed in this meeting? Him. Only Him. It was there to heal them, but only Him got healed because they shut it down. They, uh, they decided to react to something they didn't understand. God may speak things through other people or through, or to you that you do not understand. Don't just reject it. Pursue him. Remember when the, when Jesus taught his, the disciples that were following him, not just the twelve, but the, the group of disciples, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. Remember that sermon? And a whole mess of people all left and he turns to his twelve and he said, are you going to leave me too? And they said, who else has the words of life? They didn't understand it any more than the other people did, but they stayed. Sometimes we had to stay, even though I don't understand what that's, what's going on. That's all right. Stay with it. See, there was a spiritual principle going on here. He had to deal with that spiritual principle before he could deal with the physical. But they couldn't understand the spiritual root that had gone on and they rejected the rest. They saw it as profane. Let's go back over here to Genesis 25, verse 29. Now Jacob cooked a stew and Esau came in from the field and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, please... Feed me with that same red stew, for I am weary. Therefore, his name is was called Edom. That's where the name Edom came from, is from this particular thing. You wonder why Esau and the descendants of him live in the land of Edom. This is why. But Jacob said, Sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, Look, I'm about to die. So what is his birthright to me? And then Jacob said, Swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew and lentils. Then he ate and drank, arose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Now we're not told this part, but I'm sure that once we go to heaven and we see the videotape, that we will find out that Jacob called in some witnesses. Because would you trust your brother? And especially if your brother was Esau, would you trust him? Probably didn't uh, trust him. Probably brought in some witnesses. And that's why it's a known thing. We'll find out later on here in Genesis that other people knew that this birthright was gone. So he didn't have to prove it in any way. I'm pretty sure he brought some people in to see this. And so uh, he swore to him, sold the birthright to Jacob. But he's saying, look, I'm about to die. What is this birthright to me? I mean, how famished can he be? He walked in there. <laughs> really? If you can walk into the place, you can't be dying. 
if you're collapsed out in the field, okay, maybe. But he didn't collapse out in the field. He came in, sat at the table and made his request. So we know that the thoughts that Esau has as he's coming to the, towards the house are thoughts of, man, I am, I'm going to die. If I don't eat something, oh, how many people have ever said something like that? I am so hungry. I could just die. <laughs> people say, say things like that. I'm so hungry I could eat a horse. I'm sure most people who say that wouldn't even touch a horse, horse meat if they saw it. <laughs> horse? I don't eat that. <laughs> but, uh, but we say these things and he's probably thinking all this stuff on his way in there and he's got himself set up and Jacob sees it, takes advantage of it. He's probably, he may, may have even been thinking that birthright should have been mine. I mean, come on, just seconds. That would have been mine. Now the family name and titles were passed along to the oldest son. And he would receive the chief portion or it's called a double portion. Now a double portion doesn't mean twice as much. What it means is a, a um, household of five, the portion was divided into six parts. And the oldest son would receive twice, two of those, those shares. So he would get one and two and the rest would get one. And that's how it would become. That would be what the double portion was. Now the purpose for that was that they were also supposed to take up the head of the family, head of the household. And so all the things done to keep the family together and keep the family coming together were supposed to be financed by that extra double portion. So he would receive this, this chief portion or this double portion. But it was also a spiritual position. In this particular family, the family of Abraham, it meant that the one to whom belonged the covenant promise that was made to Abraham. So the, the birthright would pass on to the, well, I'm sorry, the one that would have the birthright, the promise of Abraham of having the descendant that would be the Messiah, that fell now to whoever had the birthright. So Jacob is contending for this. He wants that. And Esau doesn't care. But they know Messiah is coming through this, through our line. And I want to be, there's two of us here. The Messiah is only going to come through one. I want to be that one. And Jacob stands up to, to get this. But Esau, he despises it. I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. So he sold his birthright for a bowl of stew. A bowl of stew. No, I'm not a fan of stew. How many people like stew? Anybody like stew? People like, I mean, I can eat it if I'm really hungry and there's nothing else. <laughs> I'll eat it. I don't hate it. But, um, but I don't like it a whole lot either. You know, getting all that stuff sort of mixed together. You know, that goes against some of my values. <laughs> it is helped out by the fact that they are cooked together. You see, now, now I don't know who wrote the rules for this, but I know that everybody who believes like I do, of which there were only two other people in this church. <laughs> it's amazing that in a church this size, when we have three wise people, I just never figured that out how that was, but, <laughs> but, but you know, you know, we were away on the, we went out to, uh, I guess it was the, the ark, and uh, I took a picture. I was going to email it to a couple of people, but they had wonderful plates at the restaurant that was there. And on these plates that were there for everybody were little dividers between them. 
and they would, you know, they would serve you, and they would put the stuff in there, and they were very nice about putting the the main course in this section, and then this part in this section, and I just, I just really loved those people, and they were. <laughs> that was just, uh, that was just astounding. But uh, you, you all know my affection. I, I like, I don't like food to touch. If it was not cooked together, it does not belong together. It will not mix. Now, my wife is in totally other opposite. She will take all the food, mix it all together on the plate, and then eat it. I have blinders put on. This is going on. I just kind of eat my food, and I just don't watch. Because it actually painfully hurts me to, to see. It, it actually hurts. And, and for her, she sees me separate. That probably hurts her. It causes great pain. But we still eat in the same room. <laughs> that still goes on. But um, but anyway, th- this whole stew idea, uh, I can I can do it because everything was cooked together. But it's not a favorite. It's not a favorite of mine. But apparently, it was for for them. Now, once we get to heaven, we can find out. Does Jacob set him up with this? Is Jacob, you know, developing the recipe and finding out what it is that his brother likes, and so he can get him in a vulnerable? I don't know what it was, but I can't imagine any scenario in which that was that occurred. But anyway, it occurred here. Jacob seized upon it and got the uh, got the birthright. In Hebrews chapter twelve, verse fourteen, it reads this way: "Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up, causing trouble, and by this many become defiled." And it's still the same problem today when bitterness comes up. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. Now, just looking at it from here, God does not have the highest view of Esau for having done this. And we know verse, other verses of Scripture said that before they've been born, God hated one and loved the other. Esau, Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated. Because he sees... He's in, in touch with present, past, and future, all at the same time. So while he is being born, he sees him reject something that God considers to be very valuable. Unless there be any fornicator or a profane person, so it associates what he did as a fornicator, one who, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright, for you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. Now Esau is likened to a fornicator, as we he said. He had married Hittite women. He married two Hittite women, and it made his uh, parents upset, and they were a great uh, thorn in the flesh for his parents. It's interesting. If you compare scriptures, and you'll you'll find this out. But we know that Jacob got married when he was 40. Do you know how old Esau was when he got married? He was 40. Now, think about this. What kind of competition is going on with the brothers? They both get married very late in life on the same, in the same year. Now, my sense on this, and this is just, this is just from reading it, trying to put myself into the story, and um, envisioned these these things, is that he was getting kind of, dad is getting kind of fed up with neither son getting out there and getting married. And so he knows Esau 
will not accept what he is going to do for a solution. But he thinks Jacob would. And so he sends off to get a wife for Jacob, brings her back. Jacob gets married. Esau sees this and then goes out and gets married himself. I think Jacob got married days, weeks, a month or two sooner than Esau did. And this spurred Esau on to going out there. And he grabbed two women that he probably knew his parents would not like. Because he's, uh, he's angry. He's, he's a selfish person. He's just like his dad in that, that regard. Kind of selfish on, on things. Well, you bring me food I want to eat. Now, I, I don't, I, no, I didn't put this in your outline. I didn't have room for this one. But there is something different when someone casts aside what they know from the word to do what they want. There's something different than just regular disobedience. It's not just normal disobedience when someone casts aside what they know. I know the word teaches me this, but I don't care. We're, we are moving on from the area of disobedience. No longer are they just disobedient, but they are despising. And this is what Esau did. He despised the things of God. The things that God said are important, he despised. And so it says there is no remorse for him. Doesn't mean he can't be, he, he can't repent of it. It says, uh, there's, there's just, there's some things you just can't come back from and regain what you lost. He lost that. So the blessing of Abraham will be put on, on, on the one son. And whom did God say that blessing belonged on? The younger, which would be Jacob. Who was Isaac going to put it on? He's going to put it on the older. So he was disregarding the things that God had said. Kind of feel like that's one of the reasons, or at least one of the, one of the reasons that we see why Isaac of the three fathers is so insignificant. You can look at the stories of Abraham. Abraham did all sorts of stuff. He's used in the scripture. Look at the faith of Abraham. Jacob, his name has changed to Israel. We have stories about Jacob. We have stories about Israel and the things that he did. What do we know about Isaac? Not a whole lot, do we? I think that's probably the, some of the reason for it. Now, what things is Isaac given honor to? Well, I like Esau. Esau does the things that I want done. He does things like I think they ought to be done. I think the blessing ought to go on him. And he has rationalized the way to go against God. Now this is a man who's one of the, the, the three founding fathers. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he's ready to go against the things of God. Isn't that amazing? He is not honoring the things that he ought to be honoring. So what does this tell us about his thoughts? He's probably thinking... Well, I remember that word that my wife got. I know that part of it came true, but I'm not, I don't, I just don't, I don't like the rest of it. I don't agree with the rest of it. He had good thoughts about Esau, but he didn't give a whole lot of honor to what God had said. He didn't put a lot of positive thought into what God has said. The older shall serve the younger. When he thought about that aspect of what was shared, he has negative thoughts.
Now Esau had those two marriages that I, I referred to. He married the two Hittite women. But then he tried to gain favor with his father and he went out and married somebody more favorable. Now he's got three wives. But he didn't do this based on the principle of what is right. He did it in hope of gaining favor. People who do what is right in order to gain favor, this is wrong. We see that attitude in a lot of politicians. I'll do what is right because people will be glad with me, but that's not what I think ought to be done. That's not what I believe. It was in the Bible too. Many more places than just here. Esau has learned that favorable actions produce favorable responses. Instead of actions based on beliefs, produce blessings. I'd rather have blessings than favorable responses. That's the direction that we need to go. Now, to act as though something is honorable to another. This is basically us acting in such a way as to patronize them. Have you ever been patronized? You, somebody says, well, I, I like that. I respect that. And you can tell, no, they don't. They're just patronizing you. They're just trying to say something in front of you to, to uh, make you think. How about at work? Has your boss ever patronized you? Any boss that you had ever been patronizing to you? In your presence? Well, yeah, okay. Um, all right, that's, that's good. But then when they get away from you, they do something else. And you call them on it. And what do they say? Well, you know, I considered what you were saying. but And you could tell the whole time that they were listening to you. They don't believe this. They're not accepting this. They're not hearing it. They're patronizing me. Sometimes we've done it with our kids. Sometimes we've, we've, uh, we've listened to them. But I don't think that what they are facing is all that important. All right, hon. Yeah, okay. But you see, if I can pick up that kind of patronizing attitude in other people, your kids can probably pick it up too. You gotta be careful. Because they pick it up. What kind of attitude does it develop inside of you if someone is patronizing to you? Doesn't it drum up resentment? Anger? Bitterness? What kind of things does that do for your work environment from that time forward? What kind of things do you think it's going to do when we do this to our spouses, when we do it to our kids, when we do it to our parents, when we do it to the people in our family? No, if you, have, if you don't think something is right, then get out there and, and, and speak that. But sometimes... You know, little kids can come into a room and you know, everything is, everything to a kid is important. Everything is urgent. Y'all notice that? They come in, I mean, this is the, this is the worst problem in the world. I don't care what you're facing right now. My problem, this is the worst. I need your help. And there are times that we begin to say to them, your problem is not important. And we don't hear them. When I sow seeds in my kids, when I sow seeds in my employees, when I sow in seeds of other people and family, what you're saying is not important. The end results are not going to be good. I need to not patronize people and especially don't patronize God. Because <laughs> you, you cannot snow God. He knows. 
Now, I put this in your outline for you. It is far easier to fall into bad attitudes than to develop good ones. It is far easier to fall into bad attitudes than to develop good ones. There's a whole lot of people pushing you into having bad attitudes. There's people that act towards you in a patronizing way, in a demeaning way. And it can foster bad attitudes. A lot of times we look at bad attitudes in our kids. We look at bad attitudes in our employers or employees. We look at bad attitudes in our bosses. We look at bad attitudes to the people that we walked into their business with. The reason that the bad attitude is there sometimes is because of what we sowed. Because of the way I came in. Because it was what it was that I did. Bad attitudes are far easier to fall into than good ones are to develop. Now, if God does not act in a patronizing way towards us, how does He respond when we speak of things that are urgent and He knows they're not? Well, many times God will just simply bring some questions up to you. Steve, what does my what does my word say about that? He's not he's not putting me down. He's not not taking the time with me. What does my word say about that? Well, your word says this, but I'm not sure that it applies here. Is there another verse that applies better? No. So what makes you think that wouldn't apply? I understand. <laughs> but you see. He doesn't put me down for it. He speaks to me about it. He talks to me about it. Now, if I get disobedient a number of times, uh, there are times that God says, knock it off. God will do that to me. I don't know. He probably does it to you too, but sometimes he'll tell me, knock it off. We've we've had conversations about this. Quit it. (laughs) Because I am not honoring the things that he has, has spoken to me about. I want to mimic what God does. Godly attitudes are developed by honoring what God honors. Even if I don't see the value in it yet. You will. But even if you don't see the value in it yet, this is what we do. Is When we were kids, wasn't this required? Wasn't this expected of us? When we have kids, isn't this something we expect? You will honor what I say because I say it. That's the, the famous answer. Why do I have to do that? Because I said so. <laughs> because I said so. We don't have to explain everything to the kids. But you don't have to do it in a nasty and mean way, in a way that will generate wrong attitudes. Places where they feel put down. No, I... Now, godly attitudes are developed by honoring what God honors. Kindly attitudes are developed by honoring what others around me honor. If people honor what I consider to be honorable, don't I look at that person as kind? Those aren't godly attitudes. Those are kind attitudes. Harsh ones, or when I, uh, harsh ones are, are brought up or developed by honoring what I think others should do to make my life easier. I develop harsh attitudes in myself when I 
by, by honoring what I think others should do to make my life easier. Why are you doing that? I don't want you to do that. I don't like when you do that. Quit doing that. I don't like that. And we come across as harsh. Why? Because I am honoring. I'm giving honor. I'm giving preference to something I want you to do that will make my life easier or more enjoyable. That's a harsh attitude. Now, you can keep on coming up with a list of that. Kind attitudes, harsh attitudes. Just start making up some other ones. How do I develop this kind of an attitude? What kind of things are on, am I honoring? Whatever you honor will develop certain attitudes. We want to honor the things that God wants us to honor. Now, our attitudes towards people, whether they be friends, foes, others, whoever they are, places, situations, jobs, God, and life in general, they are not, we're not born into them. I am not born into this attitude. They are not given to me and they are not conferred upon me. I develop them. I develop them with my thoughts. I develop them with my meditations. And I develop them with the words we speak. Now, I'm going to try and keep this as an aspect of this for at least a, a few weeks. There are certain phrases that are dishonoring phrases. And I want to show you how they are. God tells you, Steve, I want you to do this. I got, I've come up with something. Steve, I want you to eat vegetables only for one week. And out of my mouth comes the words, I can't do that. I can't do that. When I say I can't do whatever it is that God has told me to do in His Word or God has told me to do in my spirit, and I answer I can't, I dishonor the words of God that speak to me. I can do all things through who strengthens me. And how many other verses can you find in the Word of God that tell you you can? Whenever God gives me an assignment, whenever God speaks to me, and I say, I can't, I am dishonoring something of God. Don't do it. How well did it work out for anyone who argued with God why they couldn't do something? Think of somebody who was successful with that argument. I mean, Moses tried it. Did that work? Mm -mm. Abraham tried it. Did that work? No. You can go on quite a list of, of things. I can't. Don't do it. If God gives you an assignment, don't argue whether you can or not. All right, God, how do we pull this off? See, I'm giving honor to him. There are so many things we do in life on a regular basis that we do not even realize are dishonoring to God. Our faith in the favor of God has drawn a lot of blessings to us. But through honor, we reel them in. I mentioned that to you last week. Don't forget that. A lot of times we are not reeling in the blessings because I'm not walking the life, the life of honor. And in many of my words, I dishonor the things of God without even realizing it. Well, God, I can't do that. 
Hmm. I don't think I'll be able to get that done. Now, if God has given you the assignment, we can read the story of Moses. Did Moses have it mapped out how, or did God have it mapped out how Moses was going to do this? Did God have it mapped out how Abraham was going to pull this off? He did. Did God have it mapped out how Jonah was going to have success? He did. Did God have it mapped out how Paul's life should have gone? He did. Don't sell your God short. He's figured all this stuff out. And don't dishonor him by saying the words, I can't. I can't take it anymore. Apparently you can. There are so many more things that we can do. But always make sure that your words honor God and bring honor to his name. Because more things, more blessings will be reeled in to you when you do this. Would you all stand up with me? Glory to God. Well, Father, I know that we can walk a life of honor or walk a life of dishonor. Most of us here would choose the life of honor though we have been selecting the wrong road too many times. Our own selfishness gets in the way. Our own priorities. Hypocrisy we're not even aware of. Criticalness that we think is just normal. Thoughts that we don't think are doing any harm. But all these things are developing negative attitudes. Negative talk. And pulling us out of a life of honor. We want to honor you with our words. We want to honor you with our life. We want to honor you with our works. And all the things that we do. That when people look upon us, they say that is a person of honor. And I thank you that you will lead us in that way. Many times we as Christians have had the same setbacks, the same holdbacks, the same things that seem to plague our life. And people try and list all sorts of things and call them in different areas. You are harassed by demon spirits. You have a generational curse upon you and the list goes on. When very often we are just not honoring the things we need to honor. If we walk into a life of honor, no demon in the world can stand against us. You have given us all the things of earth at our disposal. Help us to see all that you have given us. I thank you for it. Glory to God. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but you may be here and you may be realizing that you have lived a life of dishonor. Dishonor has crept its way in. But it doesn't have to. You can have an about face. You can turn it around and bring yourself back into a life of honor. This morning, we have communion. 
on the night that Jesus was taken into custody, he walked in a way of honor. He didn't put down the people that were bringing him in. Him in. He didn't yell at the people who had been guilty of the sin. He didn't even answer his accusers. He went to the cross silently as a lamb to the slaughter, the word says. Even when Job was going through so much physical trauma, his wife said to him, curse God and die. The devil would love to get you, to get your words to go against you. It was important to try and get Job to turn his words around before he died, but he wouldn't do it. And Jesus didn't either. Your words and your actions will let people know what it is that you honor in life. Some people, they honor certain causes. Some people honor one race above another, one nationality above another, one area of the world above another. Well, we know from the Word this is not how we are to operate. It's not how we are to walk. My prayer with God is that every day I bring honor to Him. That I don't bring honor to the causes or the things of men, but I bring honor to the causes and the passions of my God. These are the things I stand for. These are the things I pursue. I spend my life learning what His passions are. what he holds dear. Because I know from just dealing with people, the more you get to know someone, the more comfortable they are, the more they will tell you about what they're passionate about. Sometimes the things we hold most dear, that we are the most passionate about, we kind of hold back. I'm not sure if I want to let everybody know about this yet. There are some things that God is passionate about that he knows I can't share this with everybody. But I want to get to a place where he says, all right, Steve, you're, you're there. I can share this with you. But it won't get there. I won't get there if I don't hold in high honor the things that he holds in honor, regardless of their benefit to me. We look at the cross and we see so little benefit for God and so great a benefit for us, yet he did it. And he saw a great benefit for him. On the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body. This represents my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's remember that his body was broken for our sicknesses, our diseases, our pains. There is no sickness, there is no disease, and there is no pain that can survive the body of Jesus Christ. He took it all. As we eat together, let's remember. Later that night after supper, 
he took the cup and he passed it around to them and he said, this represents the blood of the new covenant. We know that under the old covenant, blood of bulls and goats, they didn't last. Sacrifices were going on on a daily basis. But his blood would be once and for all. He would shed his blood on the cross. He then presented that blood before the altar in heaven. And it was forever settled. Let's remember the blood, his blood that was shed for us, for the remission of sins. And we are forgiven. Straight together. Glory to God. Father, I thank you. Great sacrifice that you gave your son was crucified. He died and was buried for our sin. That we would be redeemed from the curse and we would live forever with you. I thank you for it. Give me the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.